This is a podcast from the Business Times. Starting the week, Singapore shares opened in the red. The Straits Times Index was down 0.1%, closing at 3,214.72 points, up 0.19%. On Tuesday, Singapore shares started in the green. The SDI gained 0.2%, but closed slightly lower amid underwhelming April macro data out of China. The SDI closed flat at 3,214.04 points. At the midweek, unease over the slow progress of U.S. debt talks further dampened sentiment in Asian markets, though Japanese stocks got a boost from forecast-beating economic growth data. In Singapore, the SDI slid 0.3% at the open and tumbled 1.3% to end at 3,173.84 points. Singapore non-oil domestic exports shrank for the seventh straight month on the year in April, down 9.8%. And on Thursday, Singapore shares opened higher after Wall Street logged significant gains overnight. The SCI rose 0.4% at the open and ended in the green up 0.3% to close at 3,182.55 points. It's Friday, May 19th. Welcome to Market Focus, a weekly look at market drivers and movements from the Business Times. I'm podcast editor Clarissa Montero. Singapore shares opened higher following overall gains in the global markets. The SDI rose 0.2% to 3,190.28 points. Is Jeff Howey, market strategist at SGX Securities, wrapping the trading week. In the United States, we had expectations edge slightly higher for the FOMC to pursue another rate hike on the 14th of June. However, the majority, that is around 70% of expectations, are of course anchored to a pause in the hike cycle in the next five weeks or so. This actually saw the trade-weighted US dollar index edge marginally higher and trade back above 103 for the first time in five weeks, while 10-year US treasuries were also marginally higher, moving from sub-350, that's 3.5%, to above 3.6%. At the same time, US President Joe Biden and the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, on Wednesday night did underscore their determination to reach a deal soon, as reported by Reuters. Now, this had the S&P 500 produce a marginal midweek boost and trade back above the 4,150 level. This also gave a firmer bid tone to Asian markets on Thursday. Markets do expect some form of a resolution by June the 1st, if not soon after. And the debate on raising the debt ceiling, it was always expected to go right down to the wire, posturing by both sides of the House ahead of this pending fundraising activities that will, of course, precede the campaigns for the November 2024 general U.S. elections. U.S. one-year credit default swap rates have been holding a line at around 165 to 180 basis points in recent weeks. And this, of course, represents the cost of insuring exposure to U.S. sovereign debt and for the past few weeks has generally been, as we said, around that 165, 180 BIPs level, which is double that 80 BIPs high that reached at the end of 2011, early 2012, when peripheral European sovereign debt was in the spotlight. But back to the interest rates from the debt ceiling. And tonight, it's Friday night, 11pm Singapore time, FOMC Chair Jerome Powell and the former Chair Ben Bernanke will partake in a panel discussion during a monetary policy research conference that will be hosted by the Fed in Washington that commemorates the legacy of late monetary economist and Fed advisor Thomas Labar. In Asia, Japan's Nikkei 225 index has rallied to return to its September 2021 levels and is up now 6% in the May month to date, and it brings its year-to-date gain to double-digit 17%. 
At the Bank of Japan monetary policy meeting at the end of April, there was a lengthy broad policy review announced, which would take between 12 and 18 months, which infers no sharp reversals to the accommodative Bank of Japan monetary policy under the new leadership team. This has also seen average daily SGX Nikkei futures volumes up close to 30% so far this month from April. While Japan's CPI has been outpacing GDP, Daiwa House Logistics Trust has observed that Japan's CPI is relatively high in the short run because of the pass-through to consumer prices of cost increases led by a rise in import prices and is expected to decelerate. As reported this morning, April core CPI for Japan was up 3.4%, that's up three from 3.1% in March, but down from 4.2% in January. Japan's stock market recently completed an overall well-received earnings season, and at the 30,600 level, the index is around 20% below the close to 39,000 levels in December 89, January 1990, with the near 3,800 highs in September 2021, the closest threshold for a reference point. Also in Asia, China's renminbi weakened to the US dollar, with the US dollar renminbi crossing above the 7.0 threshold. This was on the back of the monthly data reports that showed year-on-year growth rates of industrial production and retail sales were higher on a low base in 2022, but were slower than expected, particularly for industrial production. Not a significant reaction in the stock market, though, as the optimism has become increasingly cautious over recent months. And the slowdown in global growth is impacting industrial production, which in turn has of course been impacting Asia exports, as we saw with Singapore Nautics this week, contracting again on a year-on-year basis in April. And of course, you've got exports now from Singapore, South Korea and Taiwan, all in contraction since October of last year. Earlier this year, the IMF did flag two potential downside risks for the China economy this year, which included the weaker global demand impacting China exports and production, in addition to the including the further weakening of its property market. And the property market in China contributes one-fifth to its GDP. UOB note the recent data did signal China is still somewhat undergoing a property market downturn, which continued to hamper investment and keep some of the consumer sentiment soft. Nonetheless, UOB still maintains China's GDP growth will be 5.6% for 2023. For the first four sessions of the week here in Singapore, we saw the SDI spend the majority of its time trading a 50-point trading range between 32.20 and 31.70. The four sessions saw the highest net institutional fund outflows from DBS, Gunting Singapore, Capital Land Investment, UOB and Venture Corporation, while the highest net institutional inflows for those four sessions were booked by Semcorp Industries, Citrium, Keppel Corporation, Yangtzejiang Shipbuilding and Miwa International. Marco Polo Marine, Yangtzejiang Shipbuilding Holdings, Top Glove Corporation, TalkMag Group and Delphi led the active gainers for the four sessions, while the place holdings, Gunting Singapore, Geo Energy Resources, Singapore Post and AEM Holdings led the active decliners. Senior correspondent Anita Gabriel joins us for her take of the week. Anita, top of everyone's mind, was the U.S. debt ceiling this week. What else would you say drove markets? You know, Clarissa, I'd have to say two key themes involving the world's largest economies. The U.S. and China drove a largely mixed showing in Asian equity markets this week. One is a script we have heard before, the Washington Circus, as some call it, on the U.S. debt ceiling crisis after the cap and government borrowing was hit in January. If a deal to raise the debt ceiling or a short-term extension is not reached soon, 
it would risk a government shutdown and a damaging debt default. Markets have been stuck over the headlines on this crisis, although by and large there is optimism that a solution would be found in time as talks are progressing. Cheer over this diminishing risk is evidenced by Thursday's gains in the MSCI's broadest index of Asia-Pacific shares, as well as overnight gains on Wall Street. The other theme is on China's economic rebound. Now, this is still pressing on, but recent underwhelming macro data, the latest being industrial production and retail sales, has sparked concerns that the reopening impulse is fading. In turn, the initial cheer of a rising tide lifts all boats' expectation of China's growth momentum and its impact on Asian economies could also be fizzling off. The weak investor confidence over the Chinese economy has hurt the equity markets in China and Hong Kong, as we have seen this week. The weak star performer is Japan. A stellar earnings season, rebound in economic activity, plus dovish signals from the central bank there have helped bring the love back for Japanese stocks. The Nikkei 225 rose to the highest level in 20 months midweek, while the broad-based topics killed the highest level in 33 years on Tuesday. The week also saw the Philippine Central Bank join the rate pause camp as per expectations, given slowing inflation and as growth momentum fades. A slew of robust data out of the U.S., including retail sales and industrial production, as well as housing starts and the better-than-expected Philly Fed Index pushed back recession fears over the week. These have, for now, affirmed the expectation of a soft lending scenario for the U.S. economy. On the flip side, it could challenge the U.S. Federal Reserve's slowing growth and inflation outlook and the ongoing debate on how much more rate hikes it needs to do or when that should pause. All prices have fallen this month on the back of weak global manufacturing data that has fueled recession fears. Weak data from China and the U.S. debt ceiling crisis piled further pressure this week on crude. Note that oil tends to be one of the worst performing assets as inflation normalizes, and especially if there is a recession. Bear in mind, though, that a U.S. soft lending scenario should be good news for the commodity. Gold prices remained at near all-time highs and had inched lower on Thursday on hopes of a U.S. debt limit deal, which reduced its safe haven appeal. Still to come, company-focused news and what to note in the Singapore market with Jeff. In the next podcast episode of Editor's Talk, inspired by the Business Times column Off the Record, we turn our attention to audience editors from the newsrooms of SPH Media. Hi, I'm Clarissa Montero, podcast editor at the Business Times. In the next episode of Editor's Talk, I'll be sitting down with Business Times head of our audience teams. Have you ever wondered what they do? How driven by analytics both big and small data are they? And... What makes an audience specialist in the modern media world? And that's just my first few questions. Associate Editor Audience at The Business Times, Chan Chiaopong, joins us next. Out June 12th. Check in for the latest in Editor's Talk from The Business Times Podcasts team. And now, back to market focus from The Business Times. Jeff, the big news from a local perspective was Singapore's Nodex data. Could you give us a breakdown on that and any other macroeconomic news? 
Yeah, sure. The Singapore exports contracted 10% year-on-year in April. That represented a seventh straight month of decline and deepened from the previous month's 8% contraction. Both electronics and non-electronics continued to decline. Year-on-year, electronic exports shed more than 20% in April, following March's 22% contraction as well. Contributing most of the decline were integrated circuits, PCs and disc media products. Non-electronic shipments lost 6% from the year-ago period, accelerating from the 5% decline in the preceding month, with petrochemicals, primary chemicals and food preparations the main drivers of the fall. On Wednesday, the IMF announced that Singapore GDP is projected to grow by 1% this year. That reflects weakening external demand due to a slowdown in major trading partners, as well as slowing domestic demand following the post-reopening recovery. The IMF added that the headline inflation is projected to slightly moderate to 5.5% in 2023, which the local market is already pricing in, and that of course reflects the one-off effect of the GST rate hike, tight labour market, and the policies to raise wages of lower wage workers. Downside risks are mostly external, notably an abrupt global slowdown, premature loosening of monetary policies by major central banks, and of course, deepening geoeconomic fragmentation. Jeff. Earnings reporting continued this week. Could you give us the highlights? Clarissa, certainly. Let's start with the national carrier. Singapore Airlines released its FY22-23 12-month financial report ending the 31st of March this week. Those results, released after the Tuesday 16 May close, propelled the share price of Singapore Airlines to around $6.10 soon after that Wednesday open. And that represented price levels, adjusted for corporate actions of course, last seen in February 2020. The stock also traded three times its usual trading turnover on Wednesday and twice its usual trading turnover on Thursday. The total return of the stock since the end of 2019 through to Thursday is a decline of around 4%. For FY23, the national carrier's net profit reached $2.2 billion, which was a $3.1 billion swing from the $960 million net loss in FY21-22. Singapore Airlines also highlighted its average PAX load factor reached 85% compared to 30% in the previous FY. And prior to COVID-19, SIA commanded a 1.3% weight in the FTSE ST All Share Index. Now, following on from that significant fundraising in 2020 and overall marginal decline in total return, the company now maintains a 2.2% weight in that FTSE ST All Share Index. Similarly, The stock is now the second largest weight of the Bloomberg Asia-Pacific Airlines Index, up from sixth largest weight at the end of 2019. Now, while the social economic impacts of COVID-19 devastated their global airlines industry, back in mid-2020, SIA did signal its resolve that the next chapter of its transformation journey would focus on how it strengthens its position as a global aviation leader in the new world. And so far this year, SIA has attracted the third highest net institutional fund inflows within the Singapore stock market after the stock booked the 10th highest net institutional fund inflows in 2022. Singtel's regional associate Bharti Airtel announced its fourth quarter earnings also this week. Its consolidated revenue from operations rose to 360 billion rupees for the March quarter, which was up from 350 billion rupees a year earlier. However, it did miss analyst expectations, which were projected on average to rise to 366 billion rupees, which is around 6 billion Sing dollars. Capital Land Ascendus Street closed its private placement at close to $2.73 a unit, 
the private placement, which was 3.1 times subscribed, was upsized to raise gross proceeds of $500 million Sing dollars. Part of the gross proceeds will be used to partially finance its acquisitions of Seagate's facilities. Gunting Singapore announced that its net profit more than tripled to close to $130 million Sing dollars for the first quarter of this year, which was up from $40 million Sing dollars for the same period last year. Revenue for the period also grew by 54% year-on-year to $485 million from $315 million for the same period in 2022. This was benefiting from the ongoing recovery of both regional travel and gaming demand. In contrast, the recovery of its non-gaming business was constrained by lagging overseas visitor arrivals from its traditional visitor source markets. SD Engineering also reported revenue of $2.3 billion for the first quarter, which was up 13% from $2 billion in the previous year. And that was amid growth in most business segments and contributions from its transportation solutions provider, Transcore. And the group further announced that they will pay an interim dividend of $0.04 cents per share on the 6th of June 2023. Emprador also recorded net income attributable to owners of 2.3 billion pesos, which is equivalent to around $55 million Sing dollars for the first quarter of this year, and that represented a 10% year-on-year increase. Revenues also rose 26% year-on-year to 15.6 billion pesos, and this was due to continuous growth in Greater China and North America in the first quarter, as well as travel retail business growth on account of increased air travels. In the next few days, US-China geopolitics would be top of mind among traders as the G7 leaders gather in Japan this weekend. The US is championing outbound investment curbs on potentially sensitive technologies or outsourcing critical production to de-risk supply chains and reduce reliance on China. Fears of the banking crisis in the US deepening with tightening credit conditions continue to linger. Next week's data calendar includes policy rate decisions in Korea and Indonesia, plus industrial production data from Taiwan and Singapore. Thanks for that, Anita. This has been Market Focus from the Business Times. I'm Clarissa Montero with Jeff Howie, Market Strategist at SGX Securities, and Anita Gabriel from the Business Times News Desk. This is a podcast by the Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.